Hey friends, let's go back to the 90s with our new book, Mixtape Theology, 90s Christian Edition. It's part devotional, part retrospective, and all awesome. Rediscover the wonder of songs like The Great Adventure and Jesus Freak as you uncover their spiritual significance. But you know, we couldn't just give you a book without some 90s Christian cheese. We've included some original comics and hilarious retrospectives. Michael Tate of Newsboys and DC Talk calls mixtape theology the ultimate nostalgic throwback, and Michael W. Smith calls it a great read. Mixtape theology will have you falling in love with these songs and the gospel all over again. It's nostalgia served with a side of renewed faith, and it's available now at Amazon and Walmart.com. Now, back to the podcast. Hi, welcome to Mixtape Theology, where we look at the theology behind our favorite 90s contemporary Christian music and poke fun at 90s Christian culture. I'm your host, Rachel Cash, and in this episode, I'm really excited to do something that must be done, and that is to take a moment to really reflect on the purity culture of the 90s. So to do that, we have a special guest and author, Rachel Joy Welcher, here to talk about her new book, Talking Back to Purity Culture, published by InterVarsity Press. And we've got a copy to give away. So listen to the end to hear how you can enter. So hi, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. To any parents that might be listening today with children in earshot, I do want to give a heads up that we are going to be talking about the S-E-X. And so if you want to make a plan to listen to this at another time, uh, you might want to hit that pause button right about now. All right. So we've got a little Rachel, Rachel action happening today. Do you, are you aware, Rachel, that there's a 90s contemporary Christian music group called Rachel, Rachel? I was not aware of that. How did I miss that? <laughs> well, their most popular song is Carry On My Wayward Son. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to carry on. <laughs> and so, Rachel, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am an author, as you said. I have a few collections of poetry out there, too. So I, I do practical theology, but poetry is my passion. And I'm an editor at Fathom Magazine and a pastor's wife. And I graduated from the University of St. Andrews a couple years back, decided to go back to school in my 30s and get my master's degree in theology. And that's really what started this research about purity culture. What was your own personal experience with Mm. the purity culture? And I assume that it was in the 90s, like most of our listeners. Yep, absolutely. Late 90s, early 2000s. Um, So I didn't get the purity culture rhetoric from my parents or even my church as much as the books that we were handed by our churches and parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was just this wave. Um, A lot of kids in the 90s probably went to the purity conferences, got the rings. Um, There was music dedicated to it. Rebecca St. James had an entire song. Um, And But where I got purity culture was from these books that every teenager was being handed at the time. You know, our parents heard that people were writing about purity. It seemed like a good idea. Um, they were Christian authors. And so I, there wasn't a lot of hesitation. It was just handing them out. And so my experience was more about just internalizing some of these damaging messages 
because I was reading it on my own and I wasn't discussing these books with anyone else. We were all reading the same books, but we were not talking about them out loud. And so that was my experience. And I was committed to abstinence, to sexual abstinence before marriage and um, went to a Christian Bible college, followed all the rules, um, met someone at Christian Bible college and followed all the rules with him. And we got married and about five years into our marriage, he decided he didn't want to be a Christian anymore and divorced me. And so that's when um, some of these purity culture promises that I'd received um, started to crumble. And I realized that uh, you can do the right things, you can follow the rules, and it doesn't guarantee you marriage or a lasting marriage. And so for someone who might be listening and wondering what in the world are you talking about when you say purity culture, how would you define that? So there's been purity culture has existed um, long before the 90s, but my focus is on evangelical purity culture that popped up as a response to the 70s and 80s. These fear, fears of STDs and teen pregnancy that popped up, um, parents were worried. And so abstinence um, was a big push, not only in youth groups and churches, but in public school as well. And so when I talk about purity culture, it's that late 1990s, early 2000s um, push for abstinence marked by pledges, rings, purity culture balls, you know, all that, and all the rhetoric and books that went along with it. Right. Well, I would say that my own experience is really similar to yours. And if if, if it's okay, I'd like to read uh, a portion from your book that talks about your own time with it. And it says, I am thankful that in this sex-saturated world, my parents told me where sex belongs in marriage, and my church reaffirmed it. And I'm glad that I had sex for the first time on my wedding night. And if I ever have children, I will teach them what the Bible says about sex, that it was created by God to be an act of unifying self, self-giving within the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. I will teach them that in marriage, sex is a God-honoring good, but that extramarital sex is a sin against a holy and loving father. But I will not tell them that virginity makes them pure. And so I thought that was really impactful because I feel like in the midst of all of this talk about sex and, you know, save yourself until marriage, that these particular acts are what guarded your purity, what guarded your heart. Mm. And um, we heard that so many, so many times. And so my question to you about that is, is what are you seeing now, 20 to 30 years later, the fallout? from Mm. almost like a hijacking of the word purity, replacing it with more of a um, legalistic definition where check all the boxes, as you say, Mm -hmm. and you will be pure. What are you seeing now 20 to 30 years later? Oh, that's, that's the question, right? Um, What's our hindsight, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. looking back. And so you hit the nail on the head when you said um, legalism. So I think what we're seeing is that this movement emphasized our own actions as making us pure and completely neglected the fact that our purity has its source in Christ. And and that's a purity that can't change because Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, But when you start making it about your own actions, um, that your worth as a person depends on your sexual history, well, that shifts the gospel message from Christ saves to we save ourselves. 
And so um, virginity was placed on this pedestal. There's so much that could be discussed here, but virginity was set up as the definition of purity. Whereas in scripture, we see that purity is much more all-encompassing than just one act, the act of penetration. In fact, Jesus said that if you look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. And so biblically, sexual purity has to do with not just one act, but our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls. <laughs> um, and so it's it's not just a list of don't do these specific things and then you're pure. Um, it, it's it's much more than that. And so purity culture actually, I think, de-emphasized sexual purity in a lot of ways and made it about saving sex for marriage, just this one act. Um, so people could wear virginity like a badge of honor on their wedding day, and maybe they were addicted to pornography, right? And, so, and, and that's a lot of people's story is that Christians found other ways to be sexually active outside of that one act. Um, and so they felt like they had achieved purity, but they'd only achieved purity by this purity culture standard, not by a biblical standard. True. And that really distracts people, kind of takes people away from the true, um, all-encompassing um, forgiveness of Christ and God. Right. And um, it really shortchanged the definition of purity. It shortchanged the definition of forgiveness and what it means yes. to be righteous. When you put it into this little bitty box and you signify it with this ring, um, it really cheapens it. I don't think I really understood that until I was an adult. And just mm. being confronted with my sinfulness on a daily basis um, right. and really seeing how as a fallen person, I really need that substitutionary atonement that Jesus provides. And, Amen. and that cannot be found in this, you know, golden ring, right. um, this this checkbox that I check off. So, yeah, the true message of the gospel really, I feel like, got pushed aside. And so that's why I was so encouraged by your book, because I did find your book on Twitter. I was afraid that your book was just another, I'm going to tear down Christianity. Um, here's an example of why it's so terrible because of the purity culture. So can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be different um, mm. and what your goals were with writing this book for the Christian? Mm. Well, I, I start out my book by trying to distinguish myself um, in the sense that I love the church. Um, so I am writing out of a love for the church and a desire to see her do better. Um, I believe that while God is not to be questioned, we should question ourselves often um, because we're fallible. And so in reevaluating purity culture, I'm reevaluating our own fallible, you know, methodology, not reevaluating God's message, which is unchanging and perfect. And so I think there's a difference. There's a difference between saying Christians got some things wrong and we can do better moving forward, or God got some things wrong when he mm -hmm. stated, you know, a biblical sexual ethic in his word. And so my book is not about changing what God says in his word about sex and where it belongs. My book is about how we talk about this and the ways that maybe we tried to make the message of sexual purity more winsome by uh, attaching all these false promises to it and making it seem like it was this badge of righteousness. When, as you said, our righteousness comes from Christ alone. And so um, I absolutely believe that there were things about purity culture that were wrong, just straight up unbiblical. And we have to have the courage um, and the humility to reevaluate those messages, recognizing that we 
don't always get things right. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm, this book is very valuable. It's something that needed to be said. It would be disappointing if it, if a book like this hadn't come out at some mm. point to talk about it and to address it. Because you mentioned in your book that there's a lot of people who have been deeply wounded by yes. the purity culture and sometimes not maliciously. Um, you know, people aren't out to make people feel shamed and, and bad, but that's kind of what happened, especially if you replace the gospel with something else. What would you say to someone who might be listening to this, who has some really deep wounds associated with purity culture? Mm, I think I would want to replace the images that we receive from purity culture, these, these metaphors of, you know, a torn up a uh, paper heart, um, a broken base, used car, chewed up stick of gum, uh, and then the infamous rose, right, that was crumpled as it was passed around the room. Those were images that did not come from scripture. Um, they were uh, fear tactics to try to ensure that kids would save sex for marriage. But it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. Every single one of us has to humble ourselves before God and admit that we are sick and need a physician. And the promise in scripture is that if we ask for Christ, that we are given Christ. And your worth in Christ cannot be changed or torn or damaged. So these images of, you know, this crumpled rose, that's not an accurate image of who you are. You are whole in Christ. You are an image bearer of the holy God. These are truths, deep theological truths that cannot be altered. So take, um, take courage and hope in the fact that you are not these images that you were handed, um, but rather that you are a child of God. Mm, amen. And we can believe that is true because if we are in Christ, all of those things are secure in Christ. Exactly. And we cannot lose them. So that is so important. And I do hope that someone, whoever's listening, who needs to be reminded of that, that if you are in Christ— your righteousness is secure because it's based on his righteousness alone. Amen. Is there any last words that you want to say to anybody who might be listening? Don't forget the Imago Dei. Don't forget the fact that you're an image bearer of God. Um, don't forget these unchanging truths. Um, take the time to write down some of the false things you've believed about sex, about marriage, about yourself, about purity. And draw a line down that piece of paper. And on the other side, write down what is true. Um, what scripture says is true about who you are in Christ and who you are as an image bearer of God. It's really important for those of us who grew up in purity culture to take the time to, to do that. Um, to recognize that there are some things that we have um, viewed wrongly because of what we read or what we were taught. And to hold all those views beside scripture and Scripture should win. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you, Rachel Joy Welcher, author of Talking Back to Purity Culture, published by InterVarsity Press. Um, I love that sassy book title, by the way, <laughs> Talking Back. <laughs> we do have a copy of Talking Back to Purity Culture to give away, courtesy of IVP. So to enter, subscribe to Mixtape Theology email updates by going to our website and scrolling down to the bottom where it says subscribe for updates. It's that simple. Um, all current and new email subscribers will be entered to win a copy. So 
Also, you know, here at Mixtape Theology, we got to do a 90s True Love Waits music playlist on Spotify and Amazon Music. So (laughs) (laughs) just search for Mixtape Theology on Spotify and Amazon Music and you'll find it there. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Bye for now. The Mixtape Theology Podcast is part of the NRT Podcast Network. Find more Christian music-related podcasts at newreleasetoday.com.